What's up, Bike Rumor fans? This is your host, Anna Schwinn, once again taking over the Bike Rumor podcast from Tyler Benedict. We're continuing our pre-show series on the upcoming Philadelphia Bike Expo, coming up on November 2nd and 3rd at the Pennsylvania Expo Center in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, PA. Last episode, we spoke with Brooklyn Fowler of SRAM about the importance of diversity and inclusivity from an industry perspective, as well as their part in creating the Philadelphia Bike Expo and SRAM Frame Builder Diversity Scholarship. Now that the stage is set, let's bring on the talent that this scholarship is enabling to come to the show this year. I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest, who I think has the hardest job in the cycling industry. She has to outdo Julianne Petalino on every single bike she builds. And with that, with me now is that person, the immense Julianne Petalino. Well, first, hello, Anna. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I'm very excited to listen to the rest of the interviews in this series, and I'm even more excited about this show. So I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Everybody comes into frame building differently. Uh-huh. Uh, you entered frame building, like, it's not, it's not what you grew up trying to do. Right. You entered it, what, right. in your 30s? Yeah, so I moved to Kansas City, and I've always been an outdoorsy person. And, you know, in Kansas City, there isn't an ocean, and there's no mountains. So my usual hiking and swimming were out of the picture. And I decided that I wanted to get a nice bike and try cycling as my as my hobby. And I spent $1,000 on a bicycle, which was a big amount of money to spend on a bicycle for me at that time. And I really fell well, in love with Well, how long it. ago was that? That was about seven years ago, seven years ago, things just sort of fell into place where I got the bike. And then I was introduced to um, a women's cycling group here. And then they had an event at a bike shop that was owned by Vincent Rodriguez. And he happened to be a frame builder. And so things just kind of fell into place that led me to frame building, starting from absolute zero, where I didn't know how to fix a flat when I got that first bike. What skill set did you come in with? Because it's it's an unusual skill set. Yeah, I came in with a arts background. So my skill set is in handwork, design, graphic design, computer design. I have a familiarity with working with color and just coming up with ideas, researching those ideas, and then making work based on those ideas. And part of that work was you, you came in with some experience in metalworking particularly. Yeah, I did. I had dabbled in jewelry making um, a little while back. Um, I hadn't really done much with it for a while, but I still had all the, all the hand tools, the jeweler saw, some files, that kind of a thing. I mean, I had done enough of it where I was, you know, comfortable working with those tools. But when I moved to Kansas City, I had a big old etching press and I was going to be a printmaker. <laughs> So it's just uh, nice. I I kind of like get into a thing and then I go all in. So buying the big machine for the edging press isn't really that different from me buying a CNC mill. It's just my way of doing things. You know, why try it half-assed when you can go full on? (laughs) (laughs) I I I'm empathetic. So you uh you decided to like take your hand at frame building. What yeah. did that like process look like? Uh, well, it was just Vincent being very, very patient with me and being a wonderful teacher. And as a teacher, you know, he's always excited to share information. And he, I think he just saw the potential um, that I had and was willing to, to get me started. So, you know, it was, a, it was a little while of me getting used to working with the torch. I was I, I could only do it for like a little bit at a time just because it was like big and scary and hot. And, um, <laughs> but you know, little by little, I got, I got, 
I got going with the torch and then Vincent had a, an anvil frame fixture and so, and he had bike CAD. So we got started learning bike CAD using the anvil fixture and built a few pretty bad bikes. and then um my third bike was the bike that I actually brought to NABS and it was Vincent who gave me the big push to go I was if it had been left up up to me I probably still wouldn't have gone just because you know I was like I'm not ready to go this is my third bike I don't really know what I'm doing he's like no you can do it you're good so I was like okay Well, so, so, you know, that's the first piece of work of yours that I'd ever seen. And that was my introduction to you, which was Kentucky Nabs in 2015. That's right. You were the only person who wasn't a guy on the show floor. You were the sole woman. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, You were the talk of the show. Like, hey, we got one. (laughs) Well, to tell you the truth, I was, there was so much going on. And there were so many people coming up to me, um, just people walking and looking at the show, giving me such positive feedback. That was the year that I met you. I met Eric Norton from Peacock Groove. I met Tom Caddis from Campanulo. And I met Brandon Hirakawa from Hirabel. And all of you guys have been amazing supporters and allies. And I think you gave me so much positivity that it shielded me from a lot of the negative that may have been brewing around that I was just kind of oblivious to. And not to mention the wonderful and positive feedback from just random people who who came to the show and appreciated what I was doing. I didn't start to feel weird about anything until um, I checked out the Bike Rumor article that you wrote and I looked at the comments, which I'm never going to do again, by the way. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) this makes me feel really bad. (laughs) Anyway, the show itself, I'd say it was a positive experience for me because of you guys. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to talk about your bike. Like it was it was your third bike ever. Yeah. And you know, I was I was uh it was the first show where I was writing for a publication, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And it was the first show where I kind of focused in not as a bike designer, but as just an appreciator. Mm. And With your bike in particular, the things that got me really excited about it, first of all, it was very tiny and it's your personal bike. So, you know, that was that was an interesting data point Uh, for the readers at home who who can't see Miss Petalino speaking right now. um, You're you're not a a tall statured person. No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm short, I'm short. But I mean, as a result, you know, you're somebody who designs really well put together small bikes. And unless you're somebody who spends a lot of time looking at small bikes mm-hmm. and understanding the challenges of matching up components and kind of like general routing strategies mm-hmm. around, you know, these components that are designed for for much larger bikes, visually, you know, proportionally, functionally, there are, you know, and, and people don't really appreciate that with small bikes, you are limited by a minimum rear center because of shifting requirements on various drivetrains. Mm-hmm. So wheelbases could be tighter mm-hmm. and they could actually work better for small riders, but there are technical limitations. So it's a specialty mm-hmm. to be able to do small bikes well. And that is one of your superpowers. I know you're aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that, that, was, that bike was really fun to build but even more fun to ride because that was the first time I rode a bike that fit me 
So you had to build it yourself. Yeah, I had to build it myself. And I learned a lot from that bike. And I think uh, I also learned a lot by working with Doug Faddick. I went to his frame building school after NABS. And he's a big proponent of uh, proportional wheel sizes. He convinced me to do the to do a 650C bike, and that bike is even you know I would say way better than the the NABS bike. And the bikes I'm building now are also really fantastic when they're built around that. Well, we have size. to. We have to stop and bring it back okay. because I want to talk about, aside from the smallness uh, of the bike, yeah. thematically, um, <laughs> highly thematic, you had this chakra theme mm -hmm. and you used different types of metals mm -hmm. to sort of realize that on the bike, you had all of these hand cut ornament pieces mm -hmm. that were raised onto the bike. Is that correct? Can yeah. you talk about that theme and all of that? Well, when I was out riding, I kind of had this thought that the chakras align in your body. If, you, if you're if you on a bike, they align on the bike in a certain way that reflects how they align on the body. And I was like, it would be really interesting if I build a bike around that idea. And then, so the idea would be that there's kind of like an energetic loop on the bike while you're riding it. So you're the the chakras in your body are sort of talking to the chakras on the bike and you're acknowledging this relationship that you have with the bike and the machine and the meditative process of riding so all of those things i thought were kind of exciting and i wanted to explore them with that bike um so i did little hand cut appliques or ornaments on the top tube that corresponded to each of the chakras in the chakra system and then breeze them on to the best of my ability at that time <laughs> and um, had a had a sort of like a white paint job that would just show off the, the brass emblems as, as best they could and tried to keep it clean and, and pretty. Thematically, mm -hmm. like one of the things that I really appreciate about your stuff is because you were just not engaged with cycling in any kind of way for so long that you you like grew up in this vacuum mm -hmm. relative to a lot of people who yeah. exist in the space just coming at things from just a completely different angle. Your stuff can't look like anybody else's because you just don't think or see cycling or bicycles the way that other people do. Your yeah. relationship is very organic to you yeah. and a chakra bike. At the show at the time, I was having a difficult time processing it because I'm like, this is very different. This is a very <laughs> different energy. <laughs> because at the show for like optics, you have like a skirt on and some tennis shoes yeah. and, and Julie has this just mane of curly hair and you were just like bouncy <laughs> and like so excited and I'm like what am I looking at this is completely different this doesn't belong here but I want it to be here <laughs> <laughs> so you you have that bike and then you uh you disappear again mm -hmm. for for a couple years and I was watching you over Instagram kind of evolving and you know right off the bat you're doing a lot of really intensive metal work mm -hmm. you know it if anything, every bike is just a little bit more than the last bike. You mm -hmm. are evolving very proactively. So I remember there was the bike, it was like teal and maroon and black, and it had a three-dimensional, just really fabulous, like steel bow yeah. on the head and cats and all of this can can you talk about where this like flavor comes from oh it's it's funny that you notice that because one thing that i one rule that i give myself with frame building is to only take on one new thing at a time so i have a whole backlog of new things that i really want to try but in order to not go crazy it's like okay you can pick one thing and then we can do that on this bike so that's kind of cool that you can look through the the history of my work and, and see that 
But yeah, the, I, I'm very interested in metalwork and I'm very interested in kind of pushing the boundaries of what what a bike can look like. I love riding my bike, but I'm not a, a pro racer. I'm never going to be pro like that. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't deserve and can't enjoy a, a well-built bike that is also a beautiful bike and maybe an expensive bike too. Those are the things that drive me to make the frames that I do. And it's funny because you, I just want to touch back on the idea that you brought up as far as me coming in from as a complete outsider. I think it's the same thing with uh, me and machining is that I don't come from an engineering background or a manufacturing background. And when I look at the technology, all I just see is an, an amazing potential for art. And what's been driving me lately is to, is to like unlock that potential and get the most out of the, the tools that I can. But Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So let's talk that about are, that. Yeah. <laughs> so... So you disappear off the map for a couple of years. I'm just following any bike you, you come out with, you know, like the colors are just, it's just color combinations that are actually bold. The industry is like, look at this bold colorway. Yeah, and then yellow. you're like, oh, wow, cool. <laughs> and then, and then I would go to your Instagram and I'm like, what the, I've never seen anything like that. And it's just different and it's mm. pulled together and it's really tight and it just is what it is as hard as it can be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so I'm watching that for a while. And then the next time you surface, you've evolved to a point and this, the, the next show you went to after NAVS in 2015, and I'm, I'm sitting here like, like knowing your timeline very well, because I've just been stalking you so aggressively. <laughs> but between, between NAVS 2015 and Philly 2017, you did a lot of stuff in your community like you had uh, a women's racing team yeah. you were like really active in gravel racing you'd yep. pinch pitch tents at like dirty kanza and like support races and it was really cool to see you jump into the community holistically mm -hmm. um but in addition to like all of that good stuff you were doing in the community you were also in your frame building getting into machining and machining on a really high level mm -hmm. not just like grinding down pieces on like a sander or <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like filing yeah. things down on a light lathe yeah. freaking three-dimensional like you were doing real cnc work mm -hmm. can you talk about why you kind of kicked it into that gear let's see after nabs i went to doug's and i spent most of my time at doug's hand hand uh cutting a set of lugs which he was very generous to let me do but i doubt that he'll let anyone else do because it was a huge time sink and it put us way behind schedule with the actual frame building. <laughs> But it was very, mm -hmm. for me, it was very valuable and it was, it was exactly what I needed. And then after that, I did another hand cut lug bike. And while I was working on that bike, I met uh, my machinist mentor. His name is Warren Moore. He's a tool and die maker with many years of experience. He is extremely knowledgeable and talented and another wonderful teacher. And he saw what I was doing and he saw the potential, but he also saw that it wasn't sustainable for me to do it by hand. Um, and it wasn't, you know, 40 hours per lug set. It, it just, yeah. if I can only make five bikes a year, no one's going to buy a $20,000 frame. You know, it's just not, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he started to teach me about the machine shop and he has some CNC mills in his shop. And once I saw the machines, I just really fell in love with them. And, and I, I could immediately see, like I said, the potential to make art with them. And he kind of introduced me to this concept of a rotary fourth axis and how that could be the way that I make the bilaminate lugs that I'm so interested in. 
Mm-hmm. So that was the the grain of the idea. And then we found Grizzly CNC conversion mill that we could attach a fourth axis to, which I still have. And that's why I do all my fourth axis. Actually, all of my CNC work is done on this mill. And it's <laughs> I'm pushing it to its absolute limits. I would love a better mill <laughs> one day. But uh, the, <laughs> the resources aren't there for that. So we're going to make this one work. So the interesting thing was that Warren's amazing with what he does. And he does have his mills, but they're older mills. You can do conversational programming on them. Um, and you can load up. Uh, if you have G-code from another source, you can load that into the mill and run it. But he doesn't know. Can the... you talk about what conversational coding is? Sure. So or it's... conversational programming. Yeah. So it, it would be, you know, if you wanted to cut out a rectangle, um, in metal on your mill, you would open up the conversational programming and it's got some little pages. His mills actually run on DOS, so it's very old school. Uh, (laughs) But what you would do is you would tell it what tools you want to use, what your feed rate is, what your spindle speed is, and just plug in those numbers. And then you would give it coordinates of where you want this rectangle to be, how long is each side. And a tooling offset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all so, the basic stuff. Yeah. So what it does is it just takes all the information and compiles it into a G-code, G-code program. So you don't have to hand code all of that, which is the super old school way of doing things. So um, it's great for, I'd say, 99% of what he does. It's perfect for him. Um, and for what for what a lot of people do in manufacturing, it's great. But I don't know if you can imagine trying to plot out the coordinates and calculate the arcs and lines to do something like the wing-shaped dropouts that I'm working on. It would be a complete nightmare. <laughs> I would say it would be <laughs> literally impossible to do with hand programming or conversational programming. So to do what I need to do, I had to learn CAD software, and then I had to learn CAM software, which is the software that you use to take a CAD model and actually program all those tool paths and feeds and speeds and whatnot to then run on the machine. So it was a huge learning curve (laughs) for me to get, again, another starting from absolute zero thing, to get from that beginning to where I'm at at now, where I do all of my bug work on the machine, um, and I'm starting to make other parts as well. So you you had somebody who was helping you like getting to machining and mm-hmm. probably helped you overcome some of the visceral humps, which yeah. I would assume I would assume given given who you are and knowing something about you mm-hmm. that 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 visceral hump was the big thing to overcome, and then it was just kind of filling it in with knowledge. Yeah, and then you acquire your own machine, you acquire your your fourth axis, and you start making these massive complex bilaminate lug pieces mm-hmm. for your bike and so so two things like first of all the designs themselves are are pretty complicated like how did you get into 3d modeling like that because that is itself is a huge hump so i i'm lucky because i already had a pretty strong foundation just with dealing with computers dealing with design software so I had that uh, language of, of how to navigate a program and what to look for and how things work. That basis was already there. So it was just learning a different tool and, and, and their specific language of how to do things in their environment. I did a whole bunch of online video training courses. I started with Rhino 3D, and that's what I still use for all of my lug work. Um, and Wow. <laughs> I, I was like, I need to do the specific thing. I'm going to start with the basics. I'm going to learn the software. And then I'm going to um, find out how to do the thing that I want to do. 
And I did a ton of research beforehand and like, okay, here's, I need to take a flat pattern, which is how I still design my lugs and, and wrap it around a cylinder. What software can I do that with? And Rhino was the one that I found that could do it. And it was at a price point that I could afford, which is fantastic. So, um, and it's not, it's not a heavy program either. So it's not like trying to design something in a heavy CAD program, like, I don't know, pro E or something that's a bit heavier, like SolidWorks. It's pretty simple and super intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Um, it's not parametric software, which, so, you know, it has its, you don't need that for your lugs anyway. No, I don't need it for the lugs. (laughs) I don't need it for the lugs at all. But there is a lot of, now that I'm used to working in a parametric environment, I'm like, I go back to random. I'm like, there's so much redoing of the same thing but slightly different (laughs) with parametrics you don't really do that as much which is cool you pick up this new skill and then you're like your bilaminate pieces start getting bigger Mm -hmm. so your ornament which Mm -hmm. is a big theme with you you have these highly ornamented bikes Mm -hmm. uh your ornament starts like crawling all over your bikes and something to point out here is that it's a technical accomplishment to create these pieces to begin with. It's a technical accomplishment to create them in a way that they fit well with the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that requires actually some work too. Some just to make sure that that's, that's precise enough yeah. for you to get like whatever, whatever film material, material you have in there. And then it's, it's a technical feat to actually fill all of that with silver which you do mm-hmm. and so to understand and really like appreciate your bikes you have to understand the layers of complexity that have built up to to create the most recent one yeah. and it's it's a visual expertise it's a technical expertise it's a crafting and and actually like making expertise there's a lot going on technically and there's a lot going on visually i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah so yeah. You know, it's it's not just like, oh, look at this this crazy, bright, colorful thing. It's like, no, like look look at that and then look at all of the history that's come up to this particular bike. Yeah. And it's overwhelming and I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I love that you can see so deeply into what I'm doing. It it's very gratifying. But you asked about how my my visual language has developed. Um, over the course of my frame building and the big game changer with the machine is that I'm not physically limited by where I can get a jeweler saw into a piece of tubing. Back in the old days when I was hand carving I really had to think about okay can I fit a jeweler saw into here will this make sense and it, it limited what I wanted to do. Now I don't care about that so I can design things that would be impossible to hand cut working with CAD and CAM and the machine has really allowed me to just unleash all of the maximalism that's stuck inside of me and I can't ever seem to get out. It just it just can all come out now and I can do really crazy things. And and that I think is the super exciting part. And they're not only crazy, but they're precise and they're repeatable. And that I think is super cool. Uh, and I will totally get back to that in a minute. But the first time I really saw you like unleash this this new skill set um mm-hmm. was at the the last time you went to philly mm-hmm. uh in in 2017 and it's the only time that you've really fully exhibited at a bike show yeah and we'll come back to that as well but the two uh you brought you brought three bikes right mm-hmm. I did. but i i remembered two of them very well yeah. for obvious reasons <laughs> <laughs> so you had you had a star trek themed bike where you had like 
enter and it was original series star trek yes so you had like the enterprise mm -hmm. and it wasn't just the shape of the enterprise in the bilaminate pieces but you also uh programmed in like engraving of like the details of the the saucer yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah which was you could see at that point your bilaminate pieces started getting much bigger and then you yeah. had you had that bike and then you had uh liz reinquart's bike which mm -hmm was the the thistle bike that you put together. Mm -hmm. Seeing you at that state was really exciting. What happened from there to here? I guess, or, or do you want to talk about those bikes more? Because I would just, they're amazing. Sure, yeah. So the Star Trek bike and the thistle bike are the first frames that I've tried engraving with my machine. And I still need to work on that. I break a lot of tools, the little tips break off. <laughs> Um, that Star Trek ship badge with all the engraving detail on the ship, that took five hours of machine. And my machine doesn't have flood coolant. My machine doesn't have an enclosure. My machine doesn't have home switches. <laughs> my and you're machine doing has a lot of quirks. Yeah, pieces so, so, yeah. without flood coolant? <laughs> yes. So I sit there oh. and I watch it and I squirt it with, with lubrication every couple of seconds and just make sure it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun not fun so you were babysitting the machine while it was doing all of that engraving because yeah. you just okay wow yeah, I that just know. makes i need to know if that tip breaks off and if i need to replace it you know i think if you buy a proper mill <laughs> it would tell you hey your tool is broken i i don't know i've heard tell of such yeah. sorcery but my machine definitely does not do that so i need to listen and watch um, just to make sure everything's going okay. Because <laughs> um. <laughs> you haven't noticed. <laughs> I'm stubborn and I get an idea in my head. I have to make it happen. Um, well, and I mean, so I've, I'll I'll ask this question too because I, I think it's interesting. You were you started experimenting with paint for a while there. Mm -hmm. um, can yeah. you talk about that? Yeah. So the problem that I realized after making some fancy lug bikes is that um, it's all fine and nice for me to spend all this time and do this thing, but then when I hand it off to a painter, it's a nightmare for them, and <laughs> it turns into a, a very expensive paint job. And I felt. <laughs> I guess this will tell you about my personality. It makes me feel guilty because sometimes I kind of, I get excited about an idea and like with Elizabeth, I was like, let's do this thing. It's going to be great. And she was like, yeah, that looks really cool. And I didn't want to like, you know, burden her with this hugely expensive paint job on top of everything else. <laughs> so um, in, a, in a way to kind of magic expenses, I started to play with, okay, what if I do the painting? And I found out that, no, it doesn't help if I do the painting. It's still a very time-consuming and difficult job. <laughs> so it's just something that I talk about people with up front now. Like, I'd love to do this thing for you. Here's my idea. Here's a rendering. But just know that you're going to be paying a lot to get it painted if you want it painted. And it's kind of why I'm moving more towards, why I'm very excited about titanium as far as finishing goes, and why I'm moving towards stainless steel as well with these fancy lug frames, because they don't need to get painted. Oof. You started uh, machining these like larger bilaminate pieces, and mm -hmm. then you got into dropout design. Mm -hmm. um, you may have gotten into dropout design prior, and I just kind of missed it. But so having designed dropouts, like it's not 
it's not a simple process. There are a lot of ways to screw up that particular interface on a bike. It's, it can be very challenging. And especially when bikes are really small, Mm -hmm. why did you get into making your own dropouts and how did that evolution happen? So we need to rewind a little bit for, for me to fully answer this question. Okay. Let's go back to Vincent's bike shop. One of the brands that he carried was All City, and one of the bikes oh, weird. had the dropouts that you designed that had the little the bridge. He <laughs> got a bike shop full of bikes. They all kind of look the same. They all have similar paint jobs. And my eye just went directly to that dropout and was like, I love that. I want that bike just because it has those dropouts. They're beautiful and exciting. And so that was the start of me kind of like having an obsession with making my own dropouts. Was it like the the single speed disc dropouts? I think like the Fabergé egg ones. <laughs> I think so. I can't remember the. I, I wish I remembered which model of bike that they were on, but they were. I can kind of picture them in my head, and they were beautiful, and I loved them. And and it was like you can do really cool things back there <laughs> on those dropouts. You and, can. Yeah. It's really hard. You yes. can screw a lot of stuff up. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can. It's it's definitely tricky. Yeah, so that's what started it. And then as I started becoming a frame builder and working on my own frames and looking at what was going on around me in the frame building world um, and seeing how a lot of people kind of use the same parts, we get, all get a lot of parts from Paragon, which they make wonderful, very functional, very nice looking parts. And I've used a ton of them and I still use a ton of them on my bikes. But I thought, I, I think I could do this and I have some ideas about how to make them crazy. And I think I can sort of differentiate what I'm doing from the pile if I could get this going. And it's exciting. And, you know, so one of the things that just got in my head and I can't get it out until I do it. (laughs) So I've been doing it. (laughs) Where did you start doing your own dropouts? Was that after you started acquiring machinery? Or did you start designing and then having other people make them? Like, what did that look like? No, it was probably about two years ago I started with it. Um, and I, I built a frame that has a never been painted for Kurt. It's got lightning bolts on it. Lightning bolts are Kurt's thing. I was like, <laughs> let's do lightning bolt dropouts. And that was my first one. Oh, and then I did the mixty dropouts. And then I was thinking about replaceable hangers and then um, thinking about how I could use one dropout body and use the different hangers so that it becomes a through axle or a quick release dropout um, just to just to get more flexibility out of the pieces because they are hard to design and it does take a lot of time and I don't want to have 10,000 different dropouts. <laughs> I'd like to have maybe a few different dropouts that I could use. So I've done a few here on my machine and it's a it's really difficult, the machining. I struggle with fixturing, you know, how, okay, I have this design for a part, now how do I hold it to work on it and all of that. So the, the fixturing prototyping process is hard for me. It takes a lot of time. Uh, so lately I've been kind of thinking of how I could work with other shops to develop these parts and have them make them on machines that are just more capable of working with titanium and stainless steel, which are the materials that I like to work in. <laughs> so I, I'd rather pay someone else to run their robot than stand there for five hours and squirt with oil. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's especially if they've got a really big robot that can make a bunch of parts for you at once yes. uh, and squirt squirt all of the oil automatically. Yeah, squirt the oil automatically, and they could push a button and do some other things. And yeah, yeah, it it just kind of makes sense. I don't have, I can't get a, the mill that I want for a while, but I, I can work with other people and, and that's been 
interesting and eye-opening too. <laughs> but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I just got some images from... So I'm working with Tom Kelter. He runs a business called Excel Tool and Manufacturing here in Lenexa. And his daughter is an amazing, talented, badass cyclist, which we can talk about. But so it's through her that I met Tom and he, another wonderful, generous person who's offered to help me with my business. So he just sent me some photos of the wing dropouts that I designed. And I'm hoping that they'll be done in time for me to get them on this show bike. So cross your fingers with that. (laughs) We have a few weeks, so could happen. Do you want to talk about how Tom's daughter is a badass and making a frame? (laughs) Yes, I do. Katie Strempke is just an incredible athlete. And I've kind of known, met her on and off in the scene. And she's so cool. I was pretty intimidated by her at first just because she is so good and so cool. But we're friends now. (laughs) I'm going to be... You know you're cool too, right? I, I guess so. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> not as cool as Katie. Katie's really like you you gotta trust me, she's really cool. <laughs> okay. So she's <laughs> she wants a new frame and we're gonna do a titanium frame for her to do bike packing races. So last year she did very, very well at the DKXL. She just finished another had another great finish at the Kansas five fifty, which is a five hundred and fifty mile race. <laughs> uh, I think she's targeting some other pretty big bikepacking races coming up. So it would be super awesome to have her doing badass things on something that I built. Hopefully, with my dropouts Love item it. too. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I I just need to say this out loud because it's bananas. Your your hanger is a heart. Mm-hmm. You have a heart shaped hanger on your dropouts. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Why that particular shape? I love it. I think it's great. But uh, it's an unusual shape to to have. Mm-hmm. But it does appear to have some pretty significant utility, actually. Yeah. Another person who's helped me, Mark Thomas, he's really involved in the local race scene here. And he's been a bike shop owner and bike enthusiast for a long time. We were talking about the dropouts and he was like, you know, they used to make replaceable hangers with chain ring bolts that attach them. And so those stupid tiny screws that everyone loses and strips the threads on and whatnot and I was like I like that idea of the chain ring bolt attachment and then it it just kind of was natural to me to work the the heart shape is just something that I like and I gravitate towards just you know put more love out there in the world that kind of a thing they happen to find their ways on my bikes (laughs) it's just kind of one of my go-to shapes the heart so for me I so I had the heart and I had the chain ring bolt and I was like okay well two chain ring bolts it's going to be held on very sturdily with that and it kind of nice nicely fits the symmetry of a heart shape that's where that came from (laughs) (laughs) it's lovely i am so excited yeah and i I love how like you design your like lightning bolt dropouts and it's lightning bolts with your heart-shaped hanger yeah like you're you're matching up all these little mini themes of yours as you go along (laughs) Just, it's just this, like, it's snowballing. Yeah. <laughs> so up to present day, uh, you've recently, so you started building in steel and you shifted over to uh, stainless. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to bet that that was partially because your parts were getting really, really complicated. And it's actually, after a point, kind of easier to deal with stainless yeah. when you have high ornament yep. just because of the paint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's 
<laughs> that's a big reason for it. And I want to show off the metal work. That's my specialty. And I think the best way to show off the metal work is to let the metal work speak for itself. So working with stainless is exciting. And then, you know, I still get to play with mixed metals and whatnot um, with the stainless. And now titanium what is going on with titanium are you are you welding like what what's going on (laughs) Uh, how about another long-winded story about how i got into titanium (laughs) Uh, well i i want to know because like i'm i'm watching your page and i think you said something about that and i was just uh, you know i think either you told me or i can't remember how it came about but i i just remember this this sounds really sort of prejudicial but you know aside from some of the anodizing work and some of you know the few instances of custom frame parts and yokes that you'll see sort of floating around the industry like type as somebody who's personally a very big fan of highly ornamented Mm -hmm. highly thematic bikes i'm challenged by titanium bikes so when i heard you were going titanium i was excited and also very concerned so (laughs) i feel that i didn't want to further because I was like oh no um but then it was like well if Julie's doing it it's gonna be Thai like I've never seen it so maybe I chill out and trust the process talk me down yeah don't worry I'm not abandoning steel we're just I'm just expanding what what I can do what we can do so uh, four or five years ago we had a frame builder here um he I don't think he ever showed he was just at the beginning stages of his career a really amazing guy well loved by the community had a super tragic accident where he passed away suddenly so his name was joel dyke and after he passed away i bought his tig welder from his wife and had intended on using it to make steel frames as much as i love fillet brazing it's a very time consuming process and it just dries up the hours that i spend and then the price of these frames so the idea with tig welding was to be able to create a product at a lower price point that I could sell to people like my friends who, who didn't want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a custom frame, but still wanted a custom frame. But the thing sat in my garage for a long time. I just never had the time to turn it on and try to use it. Last year, my partner, Kurt, started fiddling with it and teaching himself how to TIG weld. Also, what was going on last year was I was very close to quitting frame building altogether. Um, it was just getting to be too much of everything, running a small business, trying to make all this work, having debt, you know, having a product that's so labor intensive and, and exhausting to make. Mm-hmm. It, it was just wearing me down, having to do everything on my own. So in the meantime, Kurt's playing with the TIG welding and then he gets really good at it. And he's like, I want to make titanium bikes. And then I started thinking about titanium and I was like, well, I can machine titanium and titanium is exciting because we don't need to paint it and we can do things like anodize it. It kind of got me reinvigorated with frame building and pulled me back into it. (laughs) You started by welding spoons together to make little dragonflies for the garden. And then he was like, I like doing this, but I'm getting kind of bored of it. Maybe I'll make a bicycle. And so he bought some steel. He has a titanium Kona that he's had for a while and he loves that bike. And titanium just has this mystique and allure to it that steel unfortunately doesn't have. It's a pretty sexy material. It's exciting. So I think once he started making bikes and I started helping him learn how that process went, he was like, oh yeah, we need to do titanium. 
We've got a TIG welder. I can TIG weld. Let's do titanium. So that's well, how did you feel about that? I mean, because the, at that point, tie is kind of, you know, it, when your base uh-huh. material is ferrous, uh-huh. then you've got all of these options for yes. integrating other metals into it. But when you move to tie, you kind of lose that. Yeah. Uh, so how did uh, that sort of influence what you were doing? My brain immediately just went to like, okay, what can I do to make it fancy? And so I'm kind of working in the background, cooking up ideas and things to try out, which we're, we're still exploring and I have ideas (laughs) about how to add ornament to the tie but you know I can still do parts like head badges and dropouts and whatnot and and that to me is is pretty exciting and once we started playing with anodizing that got extremely exciting because the anodized finish is just so beautiful and so prismatic and so fun so much less work than paint I mean, there's a lot of prep work that goes into it, but there's a lot of prep work with paint as well. And we had to do a lot of research to sort it out, but now we've got it sorted out and it's like, yes, this is really fun. Yes is putting it mildly, randomly, uh, a couple months back, Mm -hmm. you know, doing my average, I wonder what Pedalino's up to search. (laughs) I pull up your Instagram and not only is there a titanium frame set on there mm-hmm. and I'm like, where did this come from? But it is the most ludicrously anodized and styled titanium bike I have ever seen. <laughs> you know, you look at some of these complicated uh, and intricate anodizing patterns that mm-hmm. people like Firefly have been doing for years and it's yeah. very impressive. Yes. It's really pulled together. Yep. And then you pull out your frame and You did it super graphic style. You completely Mm -hmm. wrapped it Mm -hmm. and you pulled out all of these colors that are actually uh, pretty difficult to get and to get well Mm -hmm. um, in the process. So you've got these different material finishes in the mix. You've got these greens and deep purples that are on the upper end of the voltage range for, uh, for anodizing. Like that that frame set is at 11 you started at titanium at 11 <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah i'm so stoked with how that came out it, oh yeah. my god <laughs> it's super cool i've always wanted a rainbow unicorn bike and i thought that i needed it to be um metal flake rainbow unicorn which i still want by the way maybe i can convince eric Barr to do it i'm glaring at him right now but he can't tell <laughs> anyway so are you, are you one, wait are you glaring at him online <laughs> no i'm just glaring into the distance and maybe he could feel it he could feel my attention like you will do this one day you will do it <laughs> he probably won't but anyway until well, that happens i have a rainbow unicorn titanium bike which i absolutely love Oh, that's and, and your partner built it for you. Yeah, he did. He did. It's so, so fun sweet. to collaborate. I, it's so nice. So I can focus on design, which honestly, um, I love fabrication and handwork. It's fun. It's, it's nice and meditative and very satisfying to do that stuff. But my highest and best use is as a designer. With titanium, I can focus on design. And he can do the fabrication. And it's great. <laughs> so great. So I want to circle back and talk about Eric Barr for a minute. Um, uh, and actually, you know, just other builders in general. Like you, the fans that you have within frame building are immense. It's true. Because because you are a frame builder who other frame builders are extremely excited about. And you have massive fans. That's and. Awesome. 
you know, Eric Barr is one of those fans. There's a lot of mutual appreciation there, which I think is uh-huh. really cool. Uh, Eric Noren's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of all of the builders that are going to be sharing a booth with you and me and Brooke and Bina, you know, people who just sink into and live in this world, mm-hmm. uh, think very highly of you. Um, you know, who, who do you look to when you're, you know, looking at other frame builders to get excited about? Yeah. So Eric Noren, his work, if we're talking about exciting dropouts, his peacock dropouts, I saw those very early in my frame building career. And again, that was another huge point of inspiration for me of like, wow, look at what you can do if you just think a little bit outside of the box and are willing to take a risk. So I love his work. It's yeah, it's awesome. And he, I think we think in similar ways as far as um, enjoying working with a theme or a, a central idea on a frame. I absolutely love what Demon is doing. Uh, mm-hmm. his, his work is next level. You you think very similarly. I put you and Tom Warmerdam in the same bucket because I see both of you very proactively evolving. And awesome. it's interesting because you have similar rhythms too. You, you hit low points at the same time and kind of recede <laughs> and then come back. Ah, well, I, I'm which so excited to be fun. in the same bucket as him. Oh, it's an amazing bucket. <laughs> well, he's... He's an immense builder, but yeah. you know, here's a guy who's like, you know what? I'm I need to be able to make my own stuff. And he picks yeah. up a CNC machine. Now I've seen this machine. It is not an advanced piece of machinery, mm-hmm. but what he does with it is immense. Yeah. And he comes at it again from a very fresh angle yeah. and from completely outside of the typical pathway into bikes. And he's a fan of yours as well. That's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, one time he commented on something and I was like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, she's watching what I do. So excited. (laughs) Uh, So I also really love Porter Cycles. Um, What he brought to NABS last year was just so, so perfect. Loved it. Um, Bishop, of course. I love what Danielle Schoen is doing. And I'm super stoked to share a booth with her at Philly. Um, another person I think we're kindred spirits. We we kind of think along the same lines. So the a bike I just finished, I'm sending to Jordan Lowe at Hot Tubes Paint. Now he's not a frame builder, but the paint work he does is just next level out of this world. And I'm I've wanted to work with him for years now, and I'm super happy to have a client who's willing to also take the plunge and work with him too. So the bike you just sent to Hot Tubes, mm-hmm. I would love to talk about because yeah. it does a lot of the things that you do really well and that you've been sort of evolving through your style all in one bike. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I'm looking at it now, it's a fillet brazed steel frame mm-hmm. with, uh, it looks like custom, custom bilaminate, like CNC pieces, yeah. you know, like lug joints. Yep. You've got these, it looks like brass, honeycomb, and organic like stems that kind of like flow between different shapes. Mm-hmm. And I can only see little pieces of this at a time. Can you talk about what the spike is? So this bike, uh, it's a 650B sort of all-road frame that I'm building for a biologist in California. And her specialty is the study of zinc fingers, which are a type of protein. And that's about all I know about zinc fingers. But she sent me uh, <laughs> she sent me a rendering or a visualization of what these things look like under a, mi- a massively huge microscope if such a thing existed to take a picture. And graphically, it was just very exciting. 
and it, it had arrows and it had interlocking little uh, wires and it had sort of primary colors. And I was like, oh, this is this is like perfect for for designing a Biolam lug set um, when you're thinking about a cylindrical, a cylindrical tube and the way these forms are already kind of wrapping and twisting um, and being intertwined with it within each other. I was like, heck yeah, I'll make you a bike about zinc fingers. Let's do it. <laughs> and so the new thing on the, there's actually two new things on that bike. One is that I'm for the first time I made tiny little sleeves for the seat stays. So now my seat cluster is a complete piece from the seat stay, the seat tube, and the top tube where it connects to the seat tube. So it's like one full lug when it's all braced together. And then I used um, half round brass wire as my stand-in for the little connecting pieces in her in her uh, image that she sent me and those are all silver silver braids onto the frame you've got arrows that are wrapping around this the the seat stays your cluster detailing and the shapes they extend up a seat mast a little bit before it terminates into like the the proper like pinch clamp Mm -hmm. that's that's so wild and your your like slot for your pinch clap actually like cuts through some of the form which is really cool (laughs) it's this is so cool I'm very happy (laughs) with that very happy with how it turned out and I can't wait to see how Jordan paints it and I I definitely gave him a challenge so hopefully he's not cursing me Are you going to polish up all that brass after the fact, the half round uh, wire? No, I think we're going to paint it. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time I am feel like I bristle and I'm like, eh, I don't know how that sounds. Uh-huh. Pretty reliably, uh, you, you demonstrate you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to go like, oh, okay, it'll probably be awesome and knock my socks off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing to keep in mind here is um, when you're working with mixed materials like you are, uh, bilaminate construction, all in like the same space, you have to be really conscientious of brazing temperatures mm-hmm. and your strategy around brazing, mm-hmm. like holistically. Mm-hmm. And little detail stuff is such a pain in the ass to actually braze. And if you're sort of bouncing back and forth between like stainless or like chromoly mm-hmm. and uh, brass, like holy cats, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those little- How much time did it take you to braise this? It wasn't too bad. I, so what I ended up doing was buying some very thin thin gauge silver brazing wire for the little brass pieces. And yeah, okay. heat control was a thing. But I think uh, using that very small, small wire made it a lot easier to deal with. So I didn't get silver all over the place or overcook or undercook something. But yeah, it actually mm-hmm. wasn't too bad. I think the, the hardest part was like, okay, how do I turn brass wire into a, a little hexagon a protein. yeah and then how do I form that around around tube um which after a few little practices I figured out and it wasn't too too terrible actually but he controls a thing it wouldn't be something that I would have attempted a few years ago that's for sure well it's super impressive which brings us to let's talk about bike yeah because it's something very new and fresh and um, you're like clearly bringing the best, the best of, of the evolution so far, which is by definition, whatever your latest bike is, but <laughs> this one is, 
this one's really cool. You're you're mixing up steel and tie, which yeah. I was not expecting. Yeah. And I can't wait to see how it turns out. But go ahead, talk talk about this bike. How did it come to be? Yeah. So um I think it's amazing what we're what we what we've got going on with the Philly and SRAM scholarship. And I feel so honored to be a part of it. So of course I have to really bring the best of what I can offer. And that's what's been running in the background during the design process of this frame. So I, so I made a stainless frame um, a few months back and I loved, I loved it. So I knew I wanted to do stainless again. And then we've been working with the titanium and the anodizing is so exciting. And, you know, I like to mix materials. So I was like, I wonder if I could combine stainless steel and titanium and have it be an unpainted bike but where I just pair with different colors of metals on it. So then I had this idea of kind of creating sleeves with titanium pieces that interlock in the design. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. So I've done all of my machining on the stainless. I still have to do a little bit for the titanium appliques, but I'm almost done with it, and things are coming together. It's taken a little bit of time to figure out how to uh, get my CAD program correct for the interlocking pieces. I'm actually working with two different wall sizes. I guess a little bit of background here. Whenever I make um, a sleeve for a bilaminate frame, the inside of the tube, if it's stainless steel, it has to be bored out to the correct ID or else it won't slip fit the way I want it to on the tube. And then I usually go ahead and turn down the outside as well. You know, we don't want a super thick sleeve. We want to, I usually go for a 40,000th wall thickness on the tubes. Um, and then the titanium, I'm using 64,000th wall thickness tube. And just to save on time, I don't really want to turn down all of that as well. Uh, so I'm leaving it as is. And I kind of like the different levels, right? The dimensionality of using two different levels with two different material than that provides. So I've mm-hmm. had to take my flat drying and figure out the correct way to scale it so it works on a 40,000s or 40,000s wall or a 64,000s wall and the different ODs and all of that. Anyway, I've got that sorted <laughs> out. I figured it out yesterday after doing a couple pieces that didn't quite fit. <laughs> so that's working. <laughs> um, the last thing on the menu to really sort out is how I'm attaching the titanium to the stainless, which I'm going to use an adhesive. And I've got an adhesive that I think is going to work. So I'm doing some test pieces now in the studio. And if they work out, then yay! (laughs) It will be a stainless frame with polished lugs, media blasted main tubes, and then anodized titanium appliques. (laughs) Are you going to just... it's. That's overwhelming. Yeah. It's, and it's in the best way. <laughs> I know. I like to take on extremely ambitious projects and then make myself crazy getting them done. <laughs> so I'm trying not to panic or stress out too much. Things are flowing. So overall, I feel positive about the, my ability to get it done. Well, can we talk about the different visual themes mm. on this bike? Oh, because yeah. you're, you're, making, you're having winged dropouts machined for it currently. Mm-hmm. You've got hearts, obviously, Mm -hmm. in the design, as well as a lot of these like flowing organic shapes. What's going on? Like, what what's the theme of this particular bike besides you know the technical themes we've discussed? Uh, So the the wing dropouts are just an idea that I've had for a while um, to to incorporate a wing shape into the dropouts. Something I've been wanting to do. So. We're doing it, and that's really fun. And then the rest of the dropout body, I just kind of gravitate towards 
uh, curvilinear flowing shapes and forms, which all happens to work well with the design, the lug design, which is basically inspired by Baroque and Rococo ornamentation. So all the I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's where it came from. Uh, which is very it's awesome. very maximal and very over the top and has always been a favorite point of inspiration for me. Um, <laughs> and this frame <laughs> is actually a test run for something that I'm going to do that's going to be even more elaborate for a client <laughs> later on next year. <laughs> so. Who's whose bike is this? The the Philly bike. Yeah. Oh, it's for me. It's my new cyclocross bike. <laughs> and I'm going to do some little touring on it, too. Some short little tours, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Credit card touring. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, it is 650B cyclocross. And I was just so excited because they are coming out with tires, uh, 33, 35-millimeter tires for 650B, which is like, yay, finally. Well, yeah, finally. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not cheering. No. This should have happened right off the bat. It should have. <laughs> it really should have. I don't know. I'm stoked to have a proper cyclocross bike. <laughs> oh, I'm stoked for you. This yeah. is great. Um, because you were building this for the purpose of going to the show, mm-hmm. you're mashing up with certain technology. Yeah. Can you talk about what group you sort of chose for this bike and why and how you're sort of accommodating that and uh, pulling it through in a very Julianne Petalino way? Yeah, I'm doing a mullet group. <laughs> so it's it's a road <laughs> on the front, mountain bike on the back. And so that means I get to get the really cool oil slick rear cassette. <laughs> This is so excited about, and it's it's gonna be really awesome, and I'm I'm so stoked that it's my bike. So being in the Midwest, personally, mm-hmm. I know that there are builders in the Midwest, mm-hmm. but it's extra challenging. Yeah. And I say I say Midwest, knowing that you're firmly in the Plains mm-hmm. states. A lot of the bike shows and a lot of the activities around, um, you know, like the commercial activities around bikes, happen on the coasts. Yeah. Or they happen in Colorado. And basically everywhere else, you know, if there's a big race by you, uh, then media may manifest. Mm -hmm. Dirty Kansas, Mm -hmm. for example, or or Jingle Cross, Mm -hmm. you know, will get a bunch of people here and a bunch of media attention. But the rest of the time, it's it's literally pretty cost restrictive to go to many of the events that frame builders regularly go yeah. to uh there's a reason why you see the same people in frame building all over and over and over again and sometimes that's largely geographic mm-hmm. you know obviously to be a successful builder you have to do this but there go to trade shows and and get exposure but i i know as a fact you weren't planning on going to philly this yeah, year and actually it it took it took some conversations to kind of like lay the groundwork yeah. for you yeah. going can you talk about like why you wouldn't want to go to these bike yeah. shows and, and the challenges around yeah. that? Um, yeah, like you said, the exposure that you get from a bike show is awesome. And they're fun. It's kind of like frame builder summer camp. <laughs> so you get to go like talk to all your friends, and, and that's fun. But on the, on the other side, they're also very physically and mentally and emotionally draining for me. I'm a hardcore introvert. I work by myself most of the time. 
And for me to stand there for two days and, and nonstop talk to people, I like it, but it takes a lot out of me. So that's a big, a big reason why I kind of hesitate to do too many shows. And then, yeah, like you said, the expense involved, um, travel, having a nice looking booth, uh, having show bikes ready, all that is very expensive, very expensive. And for me, where my business is right now, I have to think really hard about how I'm spending my money and, and where my resources go. You know, do I go do a do I go do a show um, and get more exposure, or do I invest that money into a new machine, a new lathe, or a lathe? I don't even have a lathe, so you know, there's still things that I need to get in order to become the frame builder that I want to be. So it's kind of hard at some point to justify spending all of this money just to just to go to the shows. And being somebody who's so process oriented, you know, I bet that it's a lot more compelling to invest yes. in the machine to do the next thing you want to figure out yes, how to do exactly. Exactly. Uh, than it is to spend that money going to a show to get exhausted. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, they're just tricky. If I could go to a show and know like, okay, I'm going to the show and I'm going to, I'm going to make um, 10 sales or something, you know, I'm going to sign up 10 people for my queue. That would be different, but that hasn't really been my experience. So it's it's just this balancing act, you know. When we're when we're a bigger company and and we're not in debt, and you know we've got lots of extra resources hanging around, then then it starts to make more sense, you know. Also, like as a perfectionist and someone who who cares about every detail about something, coming to a show <laughs> and and showing up with like the bare bones booth setup. It, it just kind of hurts my heart. You know, I want it to be, I want it to be an installation, you know, like an installation piece, something that you walk into and enter into and every, every detail is thought about and considered, but that costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time to design. So <laughs> that's another reason why I kind of like, I just, I'm just not sure the timing for me and my business right now is right. Um, so I, 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 like, I can't overstate how much I appreciate SRAM and and Bina and the Philly Bike Expo for providing this opportunity for me where all those things that I just touched on that stress me out and 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 make you feel like I don't want to do it, all those things are taken care of. Um, so I can just focus on making my work and, and show up with it. And plus you're you're in a context with a bunch of other frame yeah. builders um, who have had a lot of the experiences uh, that yeah. you've had, you know, unique experiences, and those yes. are a thing, you know. <laughs> so it's gotta, it's gotta be exciting to have that like yeah. support. The last time I went to Philly, you were there, and Beth, mm -hmm. who was an intern with you at the time, who now owns Frontier yeah. Bicycles, also in Kansas yep. City. Got to keep plugging yeah. her. Uh, and Danielle Schoen were all there at the yeah. same time, and it was on one level really exciting mm -hmm. to have all three of you in one place at the same time. It was super exciting. On the other hand, you really got a sense for how deep the problem right. is. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it, it's really, um, it's really frustrating to, to, it's frustrating on so many levels. You know, there, there's a big part of me that's like, I don't care what you look like just show me what your work is and that's how I want to be judged and and then it's like the conversation always comes back to like 
gender. And so, so I find that frustrating. And then I also find it frustrating. Like why, why is it so one note among the frame builders? What's going on here? I mean, (laughs) is this just a ridiculous profession that only super, super privileged people can get into? And then how do I fit into that? And then it all gets frustrating and overwhelming. How much does it change the show environment for you to know that you're going to be put in this context in this RAM mm-hmm. booth to be with these other mm-hmm. builders? How does it change that outlook? Why is it important for you all to be in the same place? Everything got very exciting for me last night when you told me Megan Dean is coming with a full suspension mountain bike. And I know what I'm doing, and I know what Danielle is doing, and I know what Jackie's doing, and I know that the four of us are going to bring some incredible work. So we're not going to be there as like the children's table sideshow. We're going to be there as the best of the best at that show. We don't fit into the mold and we're doing things that none of these other people are doing. So I think the importance of that is showing that diversity is important because you get all these extra voices and people with different ideas and people that aren't following the same mold because we have different backgrounds and because we we have different life experiences and what we're doing is just as valuable and just as important to building the whole scene as what what's already out there. I would say more yeah. so. I mean, if you just look at what you're doing objectively, nobody is doing what you're doing, yeah. Julie. Objectively. Yeah. Once you put things in those mm-hmm. terms, like objectively this is different objectively this is exceptional and then you evaluate all the other frame builders in the booth that's a theme the four of you are are the type of people who rise to occasions Mm -hmm. and it's because you're constantly rising to your own occasion and it's really evident in your work and you're very heads down about it which is why people don't see you you don't come out right 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 right. (laughs) yeah we're busy doing the work we're not out there you know, making making noise about what we're doing. We're doing it. Yeah. Now that's a really good point. <laughs> so you're always evolving and growing. Is there a peak pedalino? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. It's just my nature <laughs> to, to build on what I've done before. Yeah. Who knows what that's going to look like in the future? Uh, but I'll, I'll never stop growing and evolving. It's what makes life worth living. Have you bumped up against what you feel is too much ornament for Definitely a bike? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. My, I, I think like uh, one of my end games here with this is to make a a bike that just belongs in a gallery. I mean, it can still be ridden, of course, but has just crossed that line into full-on art and not as much function, just a full-on piece of artwork. And that would involve a lot more ornamentation and a lot more crazy ideas, which I have. It's just a matter of getting them out. How soon until you start getting into components? Oh. <laughs> Don't go putting ideas Or have you already lately. started? No, I haven't started yet. Um, I think, well... I'm waiting for sense. I'm waiting for you to go full construct tour. You're gonna yeah. go full construct tour one day. It's an inevitability because you're gonna mm-hmm. run out of shit to do on bike frames, and you're That's gonna be true. like, "All right, what's next?" Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I would say it's in the pipeline. We're I'm working on stems right now. I I have an idea of uh, mix and match stems where uh, the stem bodies are all the same, but then we have a whole bunch of different face plates that you can choose from with all sorts of different designs. <laughs> It's going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of sorting out how, how to get it made. 
And and of course, when you say custom faceplates, your level of uh, customization oh, yeah. is pretty deep. There's yeah. a lot of opportunity there. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not just going to be something <laughs> basic. <laughs> what I need is a good machine, and I need to hire someone who's brilliant at fixturing and programming. And, okay, so I have this design. How do I make it? Those are the two things that need to happen, or I need to work with a shop that wants to work with me. So if anyone's out there who's excited and wants to work with me, give me a holler. <laughs> I will pay money. <laughs> well, the last question is, you're going to be at the show. Mm-hmm. I know because I've been following forums that a lot of aspiring frame builders are coming to the show because they're so excited about this scholarship Ooh, and the SRAM yay. booth. So what advice are you going to give these new kids when they when they tell you that they want to be you when they grow up? I'm going to tell them to go for it. You can't know how it's going to go until you try and, and to not be afraid. Um, to to take on the unknown. One of the first things I made when I got my mill is a tool holder. It's just a little piece of wood with six holes and I put my tools in it when I'm working. But I engraved it with a saying, which is, you're never, I'm not, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's something like, uh, you'll never find distant lands unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore for a long time. And so every time I work, I look at that and I'm like, okay, this is scary. I'm going to run a program. I don't know what's going to happen. I might crash the mill. It might not work, but it's an unknown and that's okay. And I have to push through that to get to that new undiscovered land that's waiting for me on the other side. So that's the same advice that I'd like to offer to aspiring frame builders or artists or creative people um, who have a passion. Just go for it. You have to try it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for talking to me. It's been super fun. After speaking with Julianne Petalino, you can see why she's so admired by many frame builders and enthusiasts. You'll be able to see her stainless and titanium creation at the SRAM booth at the Philadelphia Bike Expo this coming November 2nd and 3rd at the Pennsylvania Expo Center in Philadelphia, PA. Stay tuned for the next episode where we speak to new builder Jackie Mountner about her new brand Untitled and her experience getting started in frame building. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you want more interviews like this, hit the podcast link on Bike Rumor and let us know who you want to hear from. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's like the air in our tires. It's what keeps us rolling. And with that, thanks for listening, friends. You are all diamonds. Stay dry.